Welcome to Mathetai. Uh, if this is your first time here, thanks for checking us out. Uh, we pray that this is a blessing to your walk and that you are encouraged by the studies that we're doing here. Uh, if it is, give us a like, subscribe to our channels, and uh, check us out. We've got a lot of teachings, a lot of interviews, some great stuff coming up, and uh, things that would hopefully really bless your walk with the Lord. Uh, share it with friends that might enjoy it as well. And uh, we want to just encourage as many people as we can to uh, dig into the Word of God and uh, propel themselves uh, in their walk with God, that they can have a, a greater walk with the Lord uh, through this season. Uh, today, we're going to look at bibliology. Now, the term bibliology simply speaks of the study of the Bible, the text of the Bible. And so uh, we want to lay a foundation for what the Bible is and how we approach it. And then uh, in future episodes, we're going to be looking at other books of, uh, that are out there, other religious texts, and why they were not accepted into the text of the Bible. And so we've had a lot of people asking us lately, what about these other texts? What about what this one says? And it seems to have some valid religious information, valid information about God, about how we serve God. Um, so why isn't that one in the text of the Bible? Why isn't that there for us? We want to consider those things and we're going to look at them one at a time. So if there are some of those texts that you're dealing with or you're hearing about, uh, please let us know and we'll try to deal with them. Um, but we've got a couple already lined up that we're going to be dealing with in the future episodes. So make sure to check those out if this is a topic of interest for you, something certainly relevant in our uh, world today, in our culture today, as people are looking for truth. And so uh, we're going to make the argument today that the Bible is the source of truth. And all of these other resources, however wonderful they are, uh, are not the same as the Bible. And we're going to talk about that. So uh, first of all, I want to say that in our journey of the Christian walk, this faith walk that we're on, we need to consider our source. Where does our source of truth come from? Where does our uh, source of guidance regarding how we worship God, how we know God, what God expects of us, who God is, where does that information come from? Uh, what is it that lays the foundation for our belief and our practice? And so, uh, we really need to be careful of where the content of our doctrines come from, um, the content of how we conduct ourselves in ministry, and how and why we operate the way we do. And that's very important. So we really want to uh, consider that and look at for some objective, accessible sources so that everybody has access to the same thing. And these are objective things that we can go back to over and over again. There's not a whole lot of subjectivity there. We can measure the truth of God the direction of God from some objective source. So that's what we're looking to do here. And so, of all of the doctrines of the Christian faith, bibliology is arguably one of the most foundational doctrines because all of the other doctrines need to be derived from the scriptures, from the revelation of God. And so, uh, the Bible is the source of authority for all of the other doctrines that, that informs those doctrines. So we really need to make sure that we understand what is an appropriate source where to look and, and what to be looking for in those things. And we also need to hold the Bible in its proper perspective. The Bible needs to be held in regard as the Word of God. Now, we don't worship the Bible itself. We worship the God behind the Bible, but the God behind the Bible has revealed himself through his Word. That's one of his major avenues of revelation for us to know him and to follow him. So we do need to hold the Bible as a special text uh, with unique attributes to it that we're going to be examining today and be able to live those things out. Now, 
We need to discuss the Bible as that foundational source. We're not going to exhaustively explore all the issues related to the Bible. This would be a multi-week, a long-term study if we did that. Um, But we're we're going to point out and highlight some of the things here. I'm working on a source we call Elevator Theology. That if you have 30 seconds on an elevator ride up, in business you have your elevator pitch, where you get to, to give your pitch for something, and if someone likes it, they'll delve in deeper. And so in theology, I'm working on an elevator theology with this here. So as we come to bibliology, what can we say in 20 seconds, 30 seconds, that would pique someone's interest, pique someone's intrigue into the Word of God, and want to hear more about this, want to delve deeper? And so that's what we're going to be doing here. So for my elevator theology, I've broken it down to just a statement or so that that the Bible is... Uh, an important text. And and the Bible itself is the eternal, inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, and sufficient Word of God. And with those six attributes, we can now delve deeper into what the Bible is and what the Bible means to us and how we're to approach the Bible. And so that's what we're going to do today. So we're going to look at those six attributes that I've just laid out there in a brief one-statement elevator theology. So again, in less than 20 seconds, we can lay out our view of the Bible using those six attributes. And again, that's not exhaustive. There's You might be able to add certain attributes there. You might want to take one of those away. You might want to combine some. Come up with your, your view of what the Bible is and how you can express that to somebody else. So the first thing I want to look at is that the Bible is inspired. Now, I don't like the word inspired that we use all the time because in our day and age, the word inspired means something different than it originally meant. Uh, for us, inspired means that we, we've, we're, we're driven to do something in a greater way. I get inspired when I watch a great athlete play and I think, well, I could do the same thing. And I'm inspired to go out and, and do something. I'm inspired when I see someone who was not healthy. Uh, change their life and eat better and exercise and get healthy. I'm inspired and think I should do the same thing. I I get inspired in those sort of ways. That's not what we mean when we say that the Bible is inspired. If we go back to scripture and we want to read this in its context where this comes from, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17, it says this, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And this is where we get our idea of God-breathed or inspired. (coughs) The term at the beginning of uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God. And in the Greek, that breathed out by God is one word, and it's the word theopneustos. Now, theo meaning God, pneuma meaning wind or breath, and theopneustos was putting those two words together. It means breathed out by God. So the Bible is God-breathed is the way I would say that rather than inspired. We get our word inspired from the Latin, uh, inspirio, uh, that's their Latin translation of uh, theopneustos. That's where that comes from. So it's literally the book, the Bible itself, the scriptures are breathed out by God. This is not something that man came up with and God kind of approved. This is not something that man uh, developed uh, in, in all of his wisdom. This is something that is from the very breath of God, from the very heart of God. We go all the way back to creation. And we see that the, 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 the pneuma of God, the spirit of God, the breath of God was hovering over the face of the deep there. And then all throughout scripture, the breath of God, the pneuma, the spirit of God 
is very important in the action of God. And here we have, this is God breathed, God pneumed out, uh, theopneustos, out from God. So this comes from the very heart of God, from the mouth of God himself. This is from God. There's no other source behind the scripture. And so uh, we want to really keep that focus there. The scriptures are literally blown out or breathed by God, not some collection of human musings and uh, things that some human author puts there. Uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, Peter says this, he says, And we have the prophetic word, the scriptures, more fully confirmed, to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the pneuma, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and so no prophecy is ever produced by the will of man. And that idea of prophecy is, means it's the uh, those who speak for God. So all of the biblical authors are speaking on behalf of God. They're speaking the word of God to us. So no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along, the idea of a wind blowing and bringing something along by the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible is God-breathed in that first sense. That's what we mean by inspired or God-breathed. The second part of this is that the Bible is inerrant. Okay, the term inerrant refers to the accuracy of the content of Scripture. So there are no contradictions in the details of Scriptures. There's historic, scientific, social, religious, etc. All sorts of statements, and they're factually true in their context, and it's free from error. That's what it means. So in Psalm 19.7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So there's no mistakes in the word of God. Now, I know there are a lot of websites and a lot of people claiming there are contradictions in the Bible. And there are many who will lay out potential contradictions. Now, this is not saying that there aren't difficulties in the Bible. There are passages that are somewhat difficult to harmonize. There are passages that seem to be saying different things. There are passages that seem to be uh, teaching different things. But as we study them, as we harmonize the scriptures, we find that they're actually in agreement with each other. There are also a few errors in the Bible that have come in through the transmission of the Bible. Again, if we got into bibliology a little bit further, we would see that the revelation of God comes to man. Man writes these things down. And then what you and I have is we make copies of these things to pass out and distribute so everybody can get them. And then we translate them into other languages. In that process of transmission, of copying these things down, or even in translating, errors can creep in. Most of those errors were able to track down to a specific time frame in history where that would have entered in into the copy history. We call it a, a family of documents. And within that family, we can find where the error begins because of a scribe's error. So there are some of those things. But in the original text, the, the, the revelation from God, the word of God that has come, there are no errors. The word is inerrant. So we want to get back as close as we can to that. It's another story for another time as we get into the apologetics of the Bible, which we'll do at some point, that the, the word of God that we have today is trustworthy. It has a, an accurate reflection of the original uh, expression of God through man, breathed out by God through the human authors. We have an accurate record of that today that we use. And then Psalm 119 verse 160 says, The sum of your word is truth. 
and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So the word of God is true because it comes from a God who is true. Our God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't err. He doesn't lie. And therefore, we would expect his revelation to be the same. Now, to show this a little bit more, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, also in, in the uh, similar passage, Luke 16, 17, <coughs> Jesus says this. He says, For truly I say to you, in he- until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, that doesn't seem to be an argument for the inspiration of Scripture, for the inerrancy of Scripture, but when we see what he means by that, we can see that the inspiration and errancy actually goes down to the very letters, to the very markings on the page itself. Because in the Greek, the iota is probably, a it's one of the smallest marks in the Greek. It's the small, the I form. It's a small letter there, but it's probably a reference to the Hebrew yod. And yod is the smallest of the Hebrew letters in the writing form. And the dot, or, or you might read a jot or a tittle in, in the original uh, readings. This is the uh, one of the smallest forms of uh, of a dot above a letter to indicate how that letter is to be used. And um, it's the word karyal, uh, which was translated horn. In the Hebrew, it would have been the smallest stroke that would have been added to a letter. Oftentimes, it would differentiate one letter from another. So the smallest strokes, the smallest letter and the smallest stroke you can put into the Hebrew language, into the writing text, those things are very important. So Jesus is expressing the view towards scripture that every letter, every little mark, every inflection is inspired, not just the general message. So the details are inerrant, down to the lettering, down to the little dots of every letter are uh, inerrant. And so since they're God-breathed, we would expect them to be free from error down to the smallest details. And that's what inerrancy speaks about. Now, I would encourage you guys, if you want to read further about inerrancy, uh, there was a meeting some years back called the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. This was the document they produced from their meeting. And it's got uh, about seven pages, I believe it is, where they go through this doctrine of inerrancy in detail and lay out a, a clear path and a clear definition of that. So look up the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. Uh, I'll try to post it on our website for you if you're interested, but it would be a great uh, way to further read on about this. So, in addition to being God-breathed and inerrant, we say the Bible is infallible. Now, infallibility and inerrancy often go hand in hand. It can be difficult to distinguish between the two because they mean very similar to the same things. But there are some slight differences, so I I made it separate for our purposes here today. Um, Infallity speaks more of the general terms about the overall message of Scripture. So inerrancy means down to the very little dot, to every jot and tittle, to every little hash and every little mark is inspired by God. Uh, the the infallibility, infallibility means that the general message of Scripture is perfect, uh, is free from error. Now, let me put it in terms this way, is that you can hold to the infallibility of Scripture while denying its inerrancy. So you can say that the, there may be errors within the text itself, but the message as a whole is accurate. But you cannot deny the infallibility of the Bible and claim inerrancy. If the Bible is inerrant, it has to be infallible. If it's perfect in every mark that goes down, then the general message itself would have to be perfect as well. So I hope that clarifies some of that. 
Now, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, we read this earlier. It says, we have the prophetic word made more fully confirmed, and you would do well to pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the message that comes from God through man is inerrant in every last little detail, and it's infallible in the greater context of the whole message. That The message itself is true. The doctrines we derive from it, the general teachings of Scripture, are infallible and perfect in every way. And so... We're able to hold on to the truth of Scripture and not be led astray because we see Scripture in those terms. Uh, The fourth one, so we've got God-breathed, inerrant, infallible. The Bible is also eternal. And and this idea of eternal means that it's never fading and never changing. It's, It's unchangeable. The text of Scripture and the intent of Scripture, the message of Scripture, has not been changed over time. Now, God does work in different ways through different seasons, Uh, I hold to dispensationalism, which teaches that God has given a stewardship to mankind in different ways throughout uh, the history of man. But the principles of God, if I read back and I look at the law, God is expressing through the law the same principles that he's expressing to me through his grace of the New Testament. And so God is teaching the same message, although applying it in different ways in some senses. And so in Psalm 119.89, It says, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. So God's word is eternal in that sense that it's fixed, it's done, it's eternal, it doesn't change. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So God's word will not change, will not fall, does not falter. In Matthew 24, (coughs) verse 35 And in Mark 13, verse 31, Luke 21, verse 33, all of those texts say the same thing. It says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So all of the physical material creation may pass away, but God's word stands forever. And then finally, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, it says, all flesh is like grass and its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls or fades But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And so it speaks about the eternality of the scriptures, that the scriptures are unchangeable. They're fixed in the heavens. They're that common standard that we can always refer back to that's not a moving mark. We don't change the goalposts of what we're trying to hit. It's a solid fixed standard there. And so uh, the content of the message, the message itself doesn't change because it is rooted in the eternal God. God doesn't change and therefore his message stays the same. God doesn't change his mind of what it means to worship him or the requirements to come to him. He set a fixed mark and that's how we approach him. And so he exhibits his perfect love, peace, and grace and the expression of his word that comes from the nature of God is also immutable. It's also unchangeable. And uh, so therefore, we can always have comfort. We can always have confidence in our approach to God when we do it in a biblical way. That's why the, the study of the Bible is so important, because God has given us all the instructions necessary for life and godliness, as we're going to see in just a moment here, that, that we can know him regardless of when we live, where we live, or any of those things. His word is the same forever. 
So we've got the God-breathed or the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The, the Bible is God-breathed. The Bible is inerrant. The Bible is infallible. Uh, the Bible is eternal. And the Bible is authoritative. Now, the idea of authority means that the Bible has the right to establish the standards regarding both your belief and your action, and that you are obligated to maintain those standards. So the Bible gets to define what is right and what is wrong. The Bible defines how you become right and when you are wrong. The Bible defines what you should be obligated to do in order to keep the standards of God. That's the authority of the Bible to do that. So when someone else comes in and says something, that this is right or this is wrong or this is how you should act, that needs to be weighed in light of what the Bible says about it because the Bible is the ultimate authority over any other person, over any other teaching. The Bible is the final authority. So it, it tells us, first of all, that we get to derive the content of our belief. The Bible gets to define what we believe. Since it's breathed out by God, it is a reflection of the nature of God. It's a reflection of the heart of God towards us. This is God's intention for us. So God tells us what proper belief looks like. And so our beliefs need to align with the teaching of scriptures. Now we can get into interpretive differences and so on from there. That's now uh, how we take the scriptures. But we need to align our beliefs with scripture because scripture is authoritative to define what we should believe. Also... The, the scriptures get to teach us how we should conduct ourselves. Not just our ideas, but our actions are controlled by scripture. How do we conduct ourselves when we gather together as a church? What should that look like? How do we go about the process of doing these things? How should we conduct ourselves at work, in the home, in society? All of these things are laid out in scripture, and the Bible is authoritative to tell us how we do these things in those public and private spheres. And so, a couple of scriptures for that. Romans 13.1 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So here it's, it's obviously the context of government submitting to the government and authorities on earth that have been put around us because that authority has been given to them by God. But that infers that God himself has the supreme authority. And so God gives authority. God uh, allows those uh, in authority and in place to have that authority. And since God is the ultimate authority, the Bible is the eternal, infallible, inerrant, God-breathed word from God. Therefore, that word is the authoritative stance. It's the authoritative revelation. So the word of God is authoritative. Also in Matthew 28, verse 18. A verse we're quite familiar with. Jesus came and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus has full authority. So the words that he speaks are authoritative over every other word. Finally, in Jude, verse 25, it says, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Now, not just forevermore, but before all time and now and forevermore. So God is authoritative from the beginning. This is not something that God has earned the authority. It's not an authority that has been given to him. God is authoritative from the beginning and all the way through to forevermore. There's no time where God is not authoritative. So any word of God, any command of God, any declaration from God is the authoritative stance that we need to hold. He has the right through his word, through his revelation to tell us what to believe and how to act 
And we're obliged to keep that in order to uh, be properly following God. So the Bible is God-breathed. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is eternal. It is authoritative. And last and certainly not least, the Bible is sufficient. The Bible is sufficient in that it teaches everything that is necessary for life and godliness. One of my favorite verses there in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So how do we gain the knowledge of him? It's through the study of his word, through the study of his revelation, through the knowledge of his son. As we gather together with him, as we have fellowship with his son and we have fellowship with the father, we grow in our knowledge and we have greater understanding and we have everything necessary for life and godliness through that. You don't need anything else. There are other texts out there that are hopeful, are helpful. There's some wonderful uh, resources out there, both ancient and modern. A lot of people have written books, uh, even things like this podcast. These, these, I pray, are hopeful and helpful to you, um, but they're not authoritative and sufficient in the same way. You're going to need more than just this. If you simply sit and listen to a podcast like this each day, that's nice, but you need to be in the scriptures, spending time face-to-face with God and hearing directly from God through his personal revelation to you. And things like this can help unpack that and give insight and directions into it, but you need to spend time with God himself and with his word. And so everything in creation, everything that you need uh, to know God, to know his existence, to know how God acts what his nature is, what he intends to do, what future he has in store for us, and how you fit into that plan, what he's uh, put expectations on all of creation. It's all there in the scriptures. Now, let me say this on the flip side of that. The Bible is not exhaustive in all matters. There are some who would say, well, the Bible is all we need. I don't need anything else. Well, the Bible doesn't teach a lot of the truths of our creation. The Bible doesn't teach us math, for example. Math is in the Bible, sure. We add things together, we count, we do all of those sort of things. But the Bible doesn't teach us math. It's not a math textbook. So uh, the Bible's not sufficient in mathematics, uh, nor is it in science. The Bible is not a science textbook. It makes scientific statements when it's accurate and true. It's inerrant and infallible in all of those statements. But it's not a science textbook. So it's not meant to teach us the intricacies of our creation in the same way. Uh, it, It teaches political matters. It teaches all sorts of things regarding all of these other topics that we would study, but it's not exhaustive in those things. So the Bible is sufficient in giving you everything you need to know in your relationship with God and being able to effectively live that out. It's not the sum total of all truth in the world, but it is sufficient to tell you what you need to know God and to live out your life before God to have eternal life. And so the Bible is God-breathed. It comes from God. It has a divine origin. It is inerrant. In its finest details, there are no errors. It is free from error. It is infallible, meaning in its great doctrines, in its overall teachings, in the message that it produces, it is free from error as well. It is eternal. It is unchangeable from the beginning of creation and the heart of God, even prior to creation, to the final last days and on into the eternal state. The word of God will remain true and the same. It is authoritative, meaning that God has the right to tell us what to believe and how to act, and we are obliged to follow that. 
And finally, it is sufficient. It has everything necessary for us to know God and to live life out in the presence of God while not being exhaustive on all subjects. So I hope that this gives us understanding and appreciation for the Word of God. And as we look forward in future uh, studies, we're going to consider other religious texts, both Christian and non-Christian, both Jewish uh, and other sources. We're going to look at those and we're going to put them in light of these six attributes of the Word of God. Are these other texts fitting into those categories and how do we decide what belongs there? Uh, Some of the main issues we're going to be talking about as we come to those things are are the divine origin, the God-breathed nature of these writings. Is this from God or is this the wisdom of man? And how can we tell? Is it inerrant and infallible? Those would be indications that it's from God. Um, There's criteria regarding the selection of which writings are God-breathed. That was what we would call the canonization. What were the processes of canonization? Why were certain writings left out? We're going to consider those sort of things as we look at those. And then we'll look into things like transmission and translation of how these things came to us. Can we have confidence in the text? Can we have confidence in the author? Do we know those things? And so if as we go further down bibliology and different studies later down the road, we'll delve into uh, what we call a, I call a six-step process of our Bible that we have before us today, beginning with the revelation from God to the inspiration, the, uh, the, the, the prophet writing it down under the guidance of God, to the canonicity, which is the recognition of the text as being from God, to the transmission, it's now the copying of that text to distribute it amongst the people, to now textual criticism, where we look at the fragments and the multiple copies that we have and figure out which ones are accurate and closest to the original, down to translation, where we go from the original text to the text of the readers today. And that six-step process is a long one to get the Bible that you have today before you as closely as we can to the God-breathed, inerrant, infallible, eternal, authoritative, and sufficient word of God that God gave to us in the original revelation. So I pray that that was helpful and insightful as we approach the scriptures and as we approach other texts and are going to begin to look at why God did not include certain things or why these texts were not from God, why they're not included in scripture, and how we can approach them and still use them, what we can find valuable, and how we can be more insightful in that. So again, like these podcasts, like our, our, our YouTube channel, and uh, return back for further studies as we go through the Word of God, as we cover apologetics, we have interviews with people, and uh, we seek to uh, just grow our walk in the Christian faith and uh, share this with others that would enjoy it. Leave comments below if there's topics you want to hear, if there are certain scriptures that you want to go through, uh, certain writings that you want to look at, things that you want to talk about. We're more than happy to delve into some of these things and uh, hopefully meet some of the needs, the specific needs of people there. But I pray that this encourages you and blesses you and increases your love for the Word of God. So dig in and study hard. Uh, We'll see you next time. Check us out on mathatai.org for the ministry things that we're doing. And uh, we look forward to digging in deeper next time. God bless.